Hello and welcome to the Latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Jonathan Weekly. So Jonathan is a senior lecturer at the Australian Catholic University. He has over 100 peer-reviewed published papers, including his PhD work, which worked with the Rugby Football Union. And that makes him the perfect person today to discuss how you can use great strength and conditioning training to improve your power performance. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Jonathan onto the show. Jonathan, welcome to the Science Support Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, cheers, mate. Thanks. Uh, thank you very much for having me. It's good to catch up. Thank you very much for joining us. So can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Jeez, a quick one might be hard, but no, I, uh, my name is Jonathan Weekly. I'm a researcher uh, and, and consultant based at the Australian Catholic University, uh, born and raised in New Zealand via Wollongong uh, and uh, Perth, uh, where I did a diet, Masters of Dietetics, the Masters of Strength Conditioning, over to Leeds, where I did my PhD under uh, Ben Jones and Kevin Till, did my postdoc over there. I was really fortunate to do both the postdoc and PhD with England Rugby. And then uh, back to sunny Queensland, where I now live up in Brisbane and uh, just living my best life, man. Oh, mate, I'm, I'm so jealous. You just explained to me the weather situation now. And I'm like, I've not seen the sun for six months. I, I'm, I'm, I'm dying over here. But um, so with that background, um, what was your what was your research on? Because obviously you've done you've got a, a huge academic history there. What what's all that about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, what I'm really interested I'm really interested in resistance training. I'm really interested in developing bigger, faster, stronger athletes. Strength, power, muscle hypertrophy. I'm really interested in ergogenic aids. And uh, something we're really kind of starting to knuckle down on now is um, optimizing training based on like auto regulatory based pre- uh, practices whether that's objective or auto-regulatory, such as velocity-based training or subjective, rest and reserve, uh, rating of perceived exertion, and kind of optimizing training. And that could, and we're also doing a lot of work into the female space, so um, kind of training across the menstrual cycle, which everyone says is important and everyone acknowledges is something that we need to uh, pay more attention to, but everyone fails to do it. So uh, so we're, we're just put a few million dollars into it and we've just gone ham onto it. So uh, yes, yeah, so uh, I'll... I'll be able to give you some pretty cool results maybe in uh, 12 months' time when we do the next podcast. Excellent, mate. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it already. So um, we're here to discuss power. So uh, can you give us a quick rundown as to what power is and why it's important? Yeah. Okay. So uh, power is... um, Oh, mate, this is a real tricky one because power power is one of those topics which um, if you're a purist, you'd just say it's a real fluffy metric. It doesn't mean much. It means the rate of work. But you try and tell a coach that oh, the rate of work for that athlete was really good in that movement, and they don't really care. They don't care. They don't care at all. But if you tell them, hey, this athlete is really powerful, well, they'll probably get selected. They'll probably go, oh, great, powerful athlete. But realistically, what we're, what I'm fundamentally interested in is things like impulse. So, which is impulse is a change in momentum due to applied force in elapsed time. So, force in a given period of time. And the reason of that is because of Newton's second law, you know, uh, equal opposite reactions and all those sorts of things. So another real, a way, a easy way to look at it is going, if you and me were to do, uh, apply the same amount of force into the ground, but I did it in half the time that you did, I'm going to go higher. I'm going to be a better athlete. So for, uh, so impulse is really, really important. And it's really interesting because, you know, if we're thinking about, you know, propelling ourselves, that's, that's force. 
Now, if you're thinking about um, uh, power, there's actually a very poor relationship with physical performance and power. But what we know is there's a near, well, there's a perfect correlation between impulse and physical performance. So, for example, jump height. You know, so there is a literally the impulse momentum relationship. If I want to jump high, put more, generate more force in a given amount of time, and my momentum goes up. And that's the basic physics of it. But power is a great word, it's a great buzzword, but fundamentally, is it correct? I'm unsure, man. Well, I think I know, I know it's uh, probably not quite correct. But try telling that to a coach. So that's, that's the real hard sell. So power is a key, key buzzword that we use. So with, with impulse then being so important, um, what do you think then are the, the physiological underpinnings of that? So obviously as, as coaches, we're kind of like, right, we want to improve, let's say power, but okay, let's move that on to impulse. Yeah. Now we want to improve that impulse moment of an athlete. How do we go about doing that when we're looking at physiology? Cause obviously there's loads of different things going on there. Muscle fiber types, tendon stiffness. How are we going to improve? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah. And all, like, like we might even flip back back and forth between impulse and power, but because re- because they're kind of similar, not quite the same, but there's some similarities, and I can understand how people misinterpret them. But the thing is, is that um, being able to produce force in a given amount of time, yeah, absolutely essential, absolutely essential. So things like we've got, you know, from a without going too much into the science of it, we've got peripheral adaptations so, or structural adaptations, morphological adaptations. So Things like your muscle, the size of that muscle, you know, is it, you know, the, how the muscle is the architecture, so the size and the architecture of that muscle. But then we've also got central nervous system adaptations, so your ability to uh, recruit motor units, the synchronization of those motor units, antagonistic inhibition. And we've got, uh, and rate coding, of course, but if you can really optimize those neural adaptations, you're going to be able to produce a lot more force and you're going to be able to do it more quickly. And as we've talked about, being able to produce force quickly is absolutely essential. Because if I can produce force quickly, I'm going to best my opponent in whatever physical task it is. Um, yeah, so that, that's a kind of a, a quick overview. Absolutely excellent. And then when we're, when we're looking to go out and train that, right? So obviously at some point we're like, right, okay, we're going to need to either get in the gym or we're going to need to get on the field or, or something like that. How are we going to go about training to do that? Because obviously it's, it's not as simple as just getting out there and being like, right, I'm going to lift heavy stuff. Obviously yeah. that might help. Yeah. But yeah. Like, how are we going to go out there and, and do it? Well, yeah. Well, you know, like it's, um, it's really, really hard to be, uh, to have you know a rate of force development or you know develop force quickly in a short period of time if you can't produce much force at all so you need to be really strong and this is why you hear some of those old strength coaches just saying get stronger get stronger get stronger now obviously some of those individuals who are going to remain nameless here man they 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 get a little bit carried away i remember i was at a conference and you know this athlete was phenomenal and we said what what's next and they just said get stronger it was like the answer to everything it was the most stereotypical <laughs> thing but you know they need to be really really strong and they need to be able to produce that force really really quickly so what is the enemy of doing that and they'll be highly fatiguing 
sort of exercises. So try and be really forceful or really powerful when you're really, really tired or really fatigued. It's, it's, it's near impossible. You know? So the thing is, is when we're training to be able to produce force quickly and in short periods of time, and we're going to be able to produce high mo impulse momentum uh, or high amounts of power, the thing is, is that we need to be able to be relatively well rested and think about sprinters. They have long breaks between maximal efforts. And it's like resistance training. So what we're going to think about is we're going to reduce those number of reps. We're going to make those sets a little bit smaller. So rather than sets of five to 10 or 12 or whatever you want to deal with, we might deal with two to three, maybe four reps, maybe even once. And we're going to be giving ourselves breaks between those sets. And we've got obviously heaps of different uh, ways of doing it, like so uh, cluster sets or risk redistribution. And now, of course, we can. Uh, and one of my my PhD was uh, particularly interesting was um, how we can kind of be powerful um, in very short, constrained periods of times. Because things like cluster sets they're great in theory, um, but they take forever to do. Because you know, like do two reps, wait a minute, do two reps, wait a minute. So I then ended up doing things like supersets and all those sorts of things and investigating how we could maximize, you know, our production of power and force um, with different superset configurations. And that was just, yeah, that's really interesting for me. And can you give me a little insight into what that is? Because obviously, yeah, that sounds brilliant, but you're talking about, I don't know, uh, a push and a pull yeah. and you go from bench press to, to a bench pull, whatever, really quickly and you keep producing power for as long as possible. <laughs> Mate, I'll be honest. Oh, how I never look? thought I'd go into the dark old days of going in supersets. I swear my PhD was supersets make training faster. <laughs> um, no, so, mate, um, so, yeah, so, so realistically, if you're going to, in a really time-constrained period, then we might do, you've got kind of four options for a superset. You've got, Similar biomechanical, so like a bench, you know, uh, dumbbell bench press followed by a bench press. We've got an altern alternate, so you've kind of got um, agonist, ag uh, antagonist, so push-pull. You've got, uh, and then you've kind of got um, an upper and a lower split, so you could do a bench press and a squat, and then you've just got no normal old control, so just one, have a break. Um, so the thing is, is that we kind of found that probably agonist, antagonist, and uh, upper lower was probably ideal. But that makes sense. It's just that you're not fatiguing the same muscles over and over and over. And they have similar biomechanical supersets might be really good for muscle hypertrophy, but for actually developing strength and power, probably not. And we know that athletes have very limited periods of time, and that's why we went and did that research. So we wanted to go, hey, we've got 30 minutes. How are we going to get the best quality training? Now, there are heaps of different ways we can um, enhance that. So we can do things like velocity loss thresholds. We can cut the train the set so that we're not inducing too much fatigue. And when you're inducing that too much fatigue, you're dropping the velocity and the power kind of goes out the window. So the thing is, is that we can use velocity loss thresholds to maintain power in the set. Or we can do things like rest redistribution. And we did some really cool work based around... Um, around sprinting and how we can structure repeated sprint and full training. I'll also notice if we take a step back and zoom out, we can also compare the, old, the way of prescription. So you know, traditional methods of prescription versus rating of, uh, rating of perceived exertion. So then hey, exercise until you go an eight out of 10, uh, reps in reserve, which is you know, exercise until you got two in reserve versus VBT. 
and we're doing some really, really cool research led by um, one of my uh, my honours students actually at the moment here, a guy called Nick Cowley. He's in wonderful work in this space and, you know, comparing all these methods and comparing the fatigue responses and the within-session kinetic and kinematic outcomes, so the force, velocity, and power within-sessions. And it's just absolutely awesome. And that's going to be out hopefully at the end of this year. That sounds really interesting. And I'm I'm really interested to touch quickly on that rest redistribution yeah. stuff, because I think there's probably stuff which people haven't seen as much of. Mm. So can you take us through what that is and how people can use yeah, it? Yeah, so rest redistribution is, uh, well, just that, it's rest redistribution. I was going to explain it, but geez. So, that sounds yeah, logical, just, but yeah. Um, the thing is, is that, uh, so we've got rest redistribution, which is kind of like a, like a offshoot of cluster sets. Now, if you're not familiar with what a cluster set is, let's say you've got 12 repetitions. And we, instead of doing 12 bang, 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 you go four reps, have a break, four reps, have a break, four reps. Now, what that does in cluster sets, it allows you to not only do more volume, but allows you to maintain the kinetic and kinematic outputs when you're training. Now, and on top of that reduces, you know, reduces the metabolic cost and the neuromuscular fatigue and it makes training feel easier. So if that's a cluster set, so where we put little breaks in between clusters of repetitions, well, rest redistribution is just like that, but it's taking some of the rest from your scheduled rest break after the 12 reps and putting them between clusters or reps. And that's the small difference. It's just that rest redistribution doesn't elongate the session. And that's the sort of stuff I love. How can we do the same volume in the same amount of time, but the training quality to be quality be better? And that's where VBT and all those sorts of things comes into it, right? Like people probably think Jonathan Weekly velocity-based training, but it's based in physics and physiology. It's, it's, it's basic. But the thing is, is rest redistribution in some ways is similar to that. It just gives you a little bit more break between repetitions so that you can enhance the training quality. And when you enhance the training quality, the external stimulus, so that there's a more preferential internal response that leads to greater physical adaptations. So yeah, so that's why we might use rest redistribution. And with with that in mind, um, you said velocity-based training, and that's uh, that's one of the things that you uh, you really enjoy. So are there are there any forms of technology or um, things that you want to touch on around technology, which yeah. can help support this, this uh, impulse and, and power, power yeah, development. Yeah, for sure. It's okay. We can still use it. It's all good. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're still allowed to do that. Cool. Right. right. Hey, uh, yeah. Yeah. So realistically we've got, um, we've just, uh, sorry, man, I'm going to, and I'm going to relay a lot of the stuff back to evidence that we have. I'm not sure if that's, uh, if that's interesting. For anyone oh, please. Else, but... Please, yeah, pre pre preferably with yeah. some science. That's, uh, that's uh, kind of the um, idea, yeah. yeah. So one of the things that like, I'm a big believer in is if you if you don't have evidence, you're just a man with an opinion. You know what I mean? So for me, it's just like, how can we provide some evidence? And what I wanted to show was um, how can we improve the quality of our training? And we've got this body of research, and I contributed a fair bit to it during my, the end of my PhD. It was about feedback when you train. And we've just done a massive meta-analysis, the acute effects of feedback and the chronic effects of feedback. So if you have feedback when you train, what are the acute and chronic effects? Now, we know that if you're moving a bar faster, 
that's going to improve power output and the, the, the stimulus, right? You know, greater intent, greater preferential, uh, more preferential adaptations. So what we showed was in this meta-analysis, for all the literature, meta-analysis combines everything we know on this topic, we showed that there was an 8.4% improvement in training quality when you just have feedback, velocity feedback. And I'm going to get you out. I promise I'm going to get to the question at the end. So if we have this feedback, we are improving our performance. Just simple feedback, just the bare minimum, improves our performance by almost 10%. And on top of that, from an acute standpoint, we've never ever seen a training study which has shown, which has provided augmented feedback, which has decreased training quality in that regard. So no matter what, and you're going to improve your performance acutely. But what happens if we do it acutely over time? So chronic adaptations. Well, guess what? Your adaptations are greater as well. Your cr chronic adaptations are greater than when you are provide feedback compared to a group who is not provided feedback. They're still training. They're still doing all their best. They're still trying their best. The adaptations are better. So for me, if my training quality is better, so I have greater training performance, I'm more motivated, I'm more competitive, you know, you have a lower fatigue response, uh, sorry, you, you, perceptually you find it easier, and then at the end of the training study or training period, you, you have greater training outcomes. This is, this is like the holy grail. And so it's feedback. So how do you provide that feedback? And that's things like linear position transducers or you know, optic cameras or accelerometers or whatever it may be. As long as it's, it doesn't even need to be relatively accurate. It's just as long as it's systematic. The thing is, that if you provide that feedback, athletes will perform better and adapt better. So if I'm going to be developing power, the first and foremost, I'm going to be going after things that can give me feedback as I'm training. Not removing the athlete so that they're looking on phones or iPads or whatever, but how can we augment our training? If I'm going to be if I'm going to be chasing some technology to develop more powerful athletes, athletes who can exert force in shorter periods of time so that they can move further, I'm going to be looking for things like gym wears or perches or you know, accelerometers on the arms or whatever it may be, as long as we get good solid feedback because the evidence is so incredibly clear. We have this thing called uh, confidence limits or confidence intervals, and we have prediction intervals. So confidence kind of looks back, prediction looks forward and we can show with these meta-analyses that those prediction intervals are saying that if you do any more research in this area it's going to be the same you're going to perform better and you're going to have better adaptations so feedback for me is absolutely essential for training adaptations and performance and that's the technology i'd be going after if that's what i was keen keen on Absolutely excellent, mate. And I'm I'm really excited to, to bring all this together as well. So obviously, the, you've given loads of great information, uh, loads of amazing adaptations, loads of different ways of doing it. So if if we were to take, uh, for example, a, a rugby player now, I'm like, right, Jonathan, I want you to train this guy, and I want you to get him big and powerful. Yeah. How are you going to go about it? Yeah, and I think I think it all comes down to the constraints of the club, the team, you know, the coaches that you're working with, your colleagues, because there's nothing worse than having a a pissed off coach because you've taken up two hours of their training time. But I, th so realistically, you gotta be, re you gotta be realistic first of all. Um, so you kind of go, well, we can't be doing, you know, post activate, post activation potentiation, you know, that, that, that is, is so overblown. 
you know, because, you know, like hell, I'm going to do one heavy squat and then wait 10 minutes for an athlete to do one counter movement jump. I swear, mate, if someone does one more paper on that, mate, I swear. Um, but, <laughs> but the thing is, is that, but like, it's just not realistic, right? It's just not realistic. So the thing is, is that how can we enhance our external stimulus? So I'd be going, okay, I'd be dropping down the volume in this phase. We don't want our athletes heavily fatigued. I'd be dropping down the reps and I'd be making sure that our athletes are maintaining their strength or if not getting even stronger. And I'd be making sure that they're, you know, kind of doing some sort of contrast training. So, you know, heavy resistance training followed by maybe a power exercise they're mixing across the entire force velocity spectrum. So they're lifting some heavy stuff. They're being explosive on the other end of the spectrum as well. And realistically, we're just not inducing too much fatigue during those training sessions. So sets of 10, they're gone. Those are the days of the pre-season. Or maybe if for an athlete, they really need to put some size on during the season. But not during a power phase, not at all. So it'd just be about managing their fatigue, making sure that they're getting stronger or maintaining their strength at a minimum and then being, practicing being powerful or practicing being explosive. And when, when you take that, that session yeah. you mentioned, right? So it's a, it's a contrast or a complex series. Um, can you, can you flesh that out with like some, some real world yeah, examples sure. and a set and rep scheme so that people kind of understand yeah, that a little bit better? Sure. So for example, we might do, uh, now naturally if we're going to do some sort of like heavy, high force, high velocity exercise, that's going to go at the start of the session. You know, so we've got to get those exercises out because a big heavy thing moving real fast will kill you if you mess it up. So the thing is, it will get that stuff done because they're the high quality movements too. But if we're not doing something like that, and, you know, that, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not a proponent of just using weightlifting because there's some people who just like fascinated by that and swear that that's the only way you can do things. Um, but re we're realists. We, we work in the real world of physics. And the thing is, is that for me, uh, you know, be trying to do so let's say a heavy back squat you know then you might do three to four sets of that two to three reps and then you might move on to some explosive jumps it might be some bounds horizontally it might be a vertical bound whatever it might be um you know you might be doing and then you might then swap over into an upper body exercise so it might be an explosive bench throw or a heavy bench press and then um, a mid ball throw or a mid ball slam and just trying to kind of mix that up so you're really surfing that force velocity curve. Um, it's really not difficult. It's really not complex. Realistically, you're probably going to do the same exercises largely that you did in preseason, but you're just going to drop that volume right down and you just got to kind of make sure that the quality, the repetitions that you're doing are really high quality. Just making sure that they're exerting high forces in some exercises and, high, and being fast in other exercises using high velocity. And of course, just remember, um, you can do lots of simple, uh, lots of cool ways to manipulate it, but keeping it simple is fundamentally what's going to work best. Absolutely excellent. So Jonathan, massive thanks for your time and wisdom today. I really appreciate it. Where can people find a little bit more about yeah, you? Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, probably the best place is Twitter, but I, I think since Elon's taken that over, it's kind of gone on a bit of a downhill slide. Uh, otherwise, we've got um, uh, Instagram, so Jonathan Weekly PhD, and that, that's uh that's a bit more low-key um but you know but those two places are the best places if you want to reach out to me and you want to have a proper dialogue and have a catch-up get me on my email and that's you know you can easily just search jonathan a weekly email acu or something like that and i'm normally pretty responsive so just make sure if you if you want to get in touch that might be uh the best place as well
Perfect. So, Jonathan, massive thanks. It's been a pleasure talking, and I look forward to the next one. And that's it once again. A massive thanks to Jonathan for all of his hard work in today's podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Science of Sport Coach Academy. Now, the Coach Academy is a series of courses broken down into bite-sized chunks. So, if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to get some more great sports science information, you can get yourself into the Coach Academy completely for free using the link in the show notes in just a few seconds' time. An added bonus for all of those courses is that you get a certificate of completion which means that you can improve your ongoing education. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it'd be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach, colleague, an athlete, or a friend. That means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.